Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. I think the real answer is when he, he comes to town usually once or twice a year to perform at the Warner. But when he comes to town, he spends a lot of time with his mom. I think that's the main priority when he's here. And then he heads back off to do whatever he has to do. I honestly think he doesn't have a lot of time. But I will ask again. Can you just also we'll say this? Point, we'll say he's just not that into you, okay? And we're just well, that, that's it. what I think it is. But you could also say yeah. to him, Tony suggests, put your mom in the cart. It's okay. <laughs> I'll try. He would love it. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. All righty, then. This is our third podcast this week, which makes me happy because I'm working. Makes me happy that my son is here and is socially distanced away by six feet on my Uncle Benny's table. That makes me happy. Um, This is going to be a special show today, and we will get to that in a little while. I just wanted to do a brief open because uh, two things have happened overnight that I consider big deals. One is that Larry Hogan, the governor of Maryland, was apparently shamed and beaten down by a $2,500 a year mayor in Ocean City, Maryland, who said, really, big boy, I'm going to open the boardwalk. I'm going to open the beaches. What are you going to do about it? And Larry Hogan did nothing about it and instead did something really good, which is open the golf courses and open the tennis courts throughout the state of Maryland. So as of 7 o'clock this morning, courses were open. Uh, Columbia will be open tomorrow, which makes me very happy, although really all I really want to do is go to the driving range and hit for about 15 minutes, and that will, that will be thrilling. The second thing um, that I wanted to say in the open is there is a weather report, and it, this is not a secret weather report. This is not being denied by the Trump administration. This is, you know, it's not fake news. Apparently, on Mother's Day, it's going to be cold enough to snow in, in the Northeast is going to get snow. Places like Binghamton are going to get snow on Mother's Day. That's not that unusual for upstate New York. When I picked my daughter up from school after her freshman year on May 17th, it snowed three inches. So, but but the conditions could actually have snow in inside the Beltway in Washington D.C. But now, it's unlikely, but thank, it could. Thankfully, you'll be able to get your Father's Day present, which is to play, to play golf, golf on, on Mother's, Mother's Day. Day. <laughs> but I'll be able to play on Mother's Day because nobody else will be out there because it will be in the 30s. It will be in the 30s. So that's interesting. So I just wanted to begin. Now, did you miss the hail yesterday? I didn't see any hail. No, there was hail in, in our neighborhood. It's like, oh, no, we had hard like rain Mother for a little Nature's while. giving a hard reboot. Wow, hail. No, I didn't get that. No, didn't get that. Did it, did it break any of your windows? No, any? but you could hear it. Wow. So no, no, I didn't get that. Um, so now let, let, me, let me say that this is a special show. I have a special thing to read that will launch me into what I want to say and bring on Gary Braun. This is the copy. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. I'm very proud and honored to present you today's show, which is part of Dell Technologies' small business podference. Small businesses are grappling with the impact of these uncertain times and looking for resources. Dell Technologies has assembled an all-star lineup of podcasters to create the first ever virtual conference to share advice and inspiration for small businesses. I hope that you find this episode both inspiring and useful as we work together to support small businesses. Dell Technologies is here to help you through these times from keeping you connected and productive while working remotely with Windows 10 and Microsoft Teams to providing relevant content to help your business. To find more participating podcasts, search Dell Technologies Small Business Podference on Radio.com, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts at the end of this episode. 
Gary Braun owns a small business. He's going to be with us. Um, Andrew Dana owns a small business. He's going to be with us. And Michael Sands and through extension, Steve Sands, although it's Michael who owns the small business now, and they're both going to be with us. I own small business. Um, I'm one for two in small businesses at the moment. I went 0 for 1 with Chatter, which was a small business and lost a bunch of dough and, and we got out. And I have, as I've said many times here, absolutely no regrets. Had a great time. He swung for the fences. Yeah, no regrets at all. And one of the things that that did owning chatter was accommodate something that i hadn't realized was a small business but is a small business which is this podcast as many of you know who've listened for a long period of time um i got out of a radio deal i didn't renew a radio deal and i amicably left and started a podcast and the reason i did that was not because i hated radio because what we do here is a radio show I mean, most of the time when, we, when we're in a studio, but because I, I didn't want to be tied to a specific locale, and more importantly, I didn't want to be tied to a specific clock. Um, you know, we make our own time on a podcast. It varies every single day, and there's no such thing as a hard out at 11.55.30 where you have to be off the air. It doesn't work that way. So it's much more accommodating to the way I like to talk and the people that I like to bring on, but it is a small business. We do have two employees. Well, we have three. I'm an employee. Michael is an employee. Nigel is an employee. And then most of the time when people come in, our regulars come in, we pay them as well. So it is a small business, and it seems to be doing well, for which I'm very grateful. And one of the people who is a regular, and we're stiffing him out of money most of the time now because he doesn't show up physically, which is his loss, not ours, because he shows up electronically, um, is Gary Braun. People have known you for a long time, Gary. Sometimes we forget that you have a real job where you may go by something other than the nicknames that we have for you. Can you talk about how Braun, what Braun Film and Video is, who are involved in it, and why you did it? Because your dad was a lawyer, right? Your dad worked in a firm. I mean, he did not, Correct. your dad didn't have his own business. So when you told him you wanted to do your own business, what did he say to you? <laughs> oh, Tony. Come on, man. You can, you can, if, if anyone can appreciate it, you can appreciate his reaction to that because my dad, as, as you know, is from almost exactly where you're from. Yeah. He's from Lindbrook. Um, yeah. He, he, he was also an only child from, from Lindbrook, New York. His, his parents, both immigrants. Um, and he thought it was insanity. I mean, it was, yeah. he thought it was, it was crazy. The, how are you going to get paid? Yeah, remember, you're not going to get a weekly paycheck. What are you, nuts? Right. Go work for right. someone. Yeah. How are you going to pay for your retirement? You're yeah. not going to have a pension, which, you know, uh, I don't know that it was as obvious but back then. But, I mean, I don't, that's not really a thing anymore with the exception of, of jobs like that, like law firm jobs. So, um, yeah, that, that was not a – that was not – met with tremendous excitement and i was do i was leaving albeit a uh, not a, a great paying job but i was leaving a steady paying job to do that i was producer uh you know for your show as, yeah. as nigel can appreciate so uh, by the way let lest the people at dell think you're not committed I, I just figured this thing was dead when I heard yesterday that golf was on. I figured you and Michael were going to be out there. But, <laughs> but understanding that the club doesn't open till Friday yeah, yeah, um, so. explains it. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, um, you know, my, my dad uh, worked real hard uh, and, and had a lot of pressure from his parents to get a good education, which he did. Uh, and it was, he wasn't crazy about 
about his two sons going at it alone. My brother is actually my partner in business, as you know. People listening probably do not. Um, so, yeah, he didn't think that was cool. I mean, he wanted lawyers and doctors. You were not, as you often admit, you were not the most devoted student. I don't know that you took any courses at, at Drew University that prepared you for this. How did you discover that you had a talent for film and video? And, and just describe pretty much what you do. All right. Well, first things first, this, this is going to sound like a joke to your regular listeners, but um, I, I didn't necessarily have an interest in business as a kid, but I always loved numbers and math. Um, and, and to this day, um, I'm a big numbers and math guy. And of course, in college, that just looked like gambling way over my head and driving to <laughs> Atlantic City from Drew University late at night. Um, but in adult life, that's, that's meant an interest that just naturally became an interest in money. I mean, if, if I had a kid with my interests and, and mind, I would probably steer him towards career fields. My parents were, um, were more sort of interested in, in my, my happiness. They were like, they were like this generation's parents. Oh, just be happy, do what makes you happy and you'll be fine. So I, I didn't necessarily get that guidance or, or get steered at all toward any specific industry. I went to a liberal arts school. They said, just study and, and chase what interests you. And for me, it, it was actually sports more than anything, which is what got me into sports broadcasting and, and ultimately to you, et cetera. As, as far as what my company does, we are a, um, a full-service video production company, which means we, we produce video for clients and have, over the years, done just about anything you could imagine short of feature film, but including music videos and commercial broadcast. A lot of our work is, is corporate communication, sales, marketing, investor recruitment, training video. Um, we are on the GSA schedule, which means we are a pre-approved vendor for the federal government. So we do a fair amount of government work, as you can imagine, living in, living where we do. Um, and and most, of, most of what I learned about that, I learned on the job, frankly. I mean, I, w I was a producer in radio and had worked in radio through, uh, ra and I had, in fact, interned in television as well, um, in college and um and then was a producer in radio and as well as working for you i produced the redskins broadcasts on that old station wtm so uh at the same time my brother was a freelance video producer and we just decided when we both got bored of of the first jobs we had ever had out of college to uh you know, join forces. And unfortunately, production, uh, production is production at the end of the day, right? So ne neither of us are super technical. I'm, I'm not someone who shoots or edits. Uh, I do direct and write on occasion. But primarily what we're doing as producers is, is team building, is, is budget building and managing, is client management, um, and is generating work. And that, so that fills the day to day. You, you work with your brother. I'm an only child. I don't know how this stuff works. There's got to be every once in a while conflict, right? I mean, how is, the, how is the conflict resolved? Did either of you ever say, you know, maybe I should just go out on my own and leave this thing? No, you know, people ask me this all the time. Uh, probably he as well. I don't know that he answers it the same way. But, um, I mean, we, we, like any, Dave and I are, are three and a half years apart. So there was, there was plenty of conflict uh, uh, growing up. 
Um, and and really, once he went to school, once one of us went away, he was he was older, as I said. So we we got a, a little more friendly. Um, and we, I mean, I can tell you, we've. Ne- I mean, we disagree about stuff, but we there's never. I don't. I just don't think either of us, frankly, cares enough to to be that conflicted about about right. anything. So um, we're we're. I'm a pretty laid back personality as, as i'm sure you realize as is he and and the benefit of of a family business at least for us has been that you when you know where your partner comes from and 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 you share a lot of the same values um there's never any questioning about whether someone's carrying their weight or or should i feel guilty about doing something like your show, which I do, which gets me in late to the office, you know, most days when I participate on the show. Um, So, I I mean, I, that's not a very sexy answer, I I realize, but I mean, the truth is it's, it's been pretty harmonious. Now, now Dave was a more classically trained, Dave went to school and studied uh, communications at Ithaca College and studied film and his first job was in the video production industry, albeit in a, in a freelance capacity. So, um, you know, I had some, some decent on the job training when I came to it, but I was, I was still a, a relatively young man at the time as was he, I mean, we were both in our, our twenties when this thing started in the, late, tw- in the late nineties. So, I mean, and, and you're on the road a lot to do this. I mean, you're absent from the show because you have jobs and the, the rule of, the, of this show always is if you have a job, go to your job and come back, you know, whenever it's convenient for you. But you also do those camping trips with your children. And, and I'm just wondering, with everything that you have to do, that must be a little bit hard to balance. Has, the, has travel in your job ever been a burden to you in terms of being a parent? My kids will say, I don't believe it's true, but they will say, I was gone a lot because I was a sports writer. I was gone yeah. a lot. You know, I just wonder how that is for you. Um, I, I definitely, uh, well, I like to travel for starters, but, uh, but I enjoy the work travel less and less, the older I get. Um, and it is problematic for me when I start to miss stuff. I mean, kids events and school events and sporting events and whatnot. Um, but, uh, you know, my kids always say to me that, that I'm lucky because I don't have a boss. And my response is, you know, are you kidding me? I have a hundred bosses. I mean, every, every client is a boss. So it's um, the nature of, of my business. Now it'll be different for a, a Michael Sands who owns a retail establishment. But, but my business, give me my phone and my laptop and I can do it from just about anywhere. So the good news is that I, I, I have some freedom to, to run around and do things and the family trips, like you mentioned. But the flip side of that is I am never not plugged in. I am never not wired and I am never not accessible for, for clients or, or even colleagues to use Sheehan's term. If we're in the middle of a project that needs review or something. So, um, you know, it, you never know it when, when you, um, when you, on the rare occasion that I, I should say, look back on my life and sort of say, man, if I knew then what I know now, you know, would I do anything differently? I don't think I would do anything differently, but the job in your late 20s when you've been working for, for peanuts uh, under a bunch of C students at a radio station like I had been, and I don't mean you, I mean the, our dunce management that we had yeah. there at the time, um, 
the notion of starting your own business is so exciting. Oh, I'll be a business owner. You know, I, I didn't know what the hell it meant. Um, I just knew I, I wouldn't be under someone else's thumb. So, um, and not only that, I mean, think of, especially in my industry, Tony, with the changes in technology in the last 25 years have tremendous for it. Um, just, it's, it's tremendous. I, I just, I guess I wonder, you know, um, most people, when they start a business have expansionist dreams. Um, are you at a size and capacity where you're good now? Do you want people want more business? Is it is it good now? And has your business been affected at all? Certainly negatively, has it been affected by what's going on now? Like so many small businesses are. Well, well, I'll do the I'll do the last part first. I mean, of of course, we've been impacted by this. The, the most of the corporate work that we had uh, lined up and were in the middle of went away essentially overnight when, when lockdowns began. And when I say went away, some of it actually did go away. Some of it was just postponed and, and indefinitely. Um, but as I said earlier, we do a fair amount of government work, and we're in the middle of a few government contracts that we're able to continue to move. And because of of the digital nature of what we do, a lot of work can get done remotely. So it it has not uh, ground us to a halt by any means, as it has for a lot of people, and it hasn't hasn't threatened our viability, fortunately. But, um, but certainly we've felt it and are anxious, as everyone is, for um, things to get back to, uh, I guess, how they're going to be. I don't want to say normal, because I don't think they'll ever be back to normal. Um, as far as ex- any expansionist dreams, I mean, of, of course, uh, the, the plan that we hatched over... Um, my dining room table 25 years ago was was to conquer the world. Yeah. Um, but but what we quickly decided, or in the course of the first five to eight years, I guess, as we were growing, decided that we, um, you know, the the lifestyle gets a little bit addictive. I mean, I, I one of the things I like most about my job is that it allows me to do this job with you. I mean, I, I don't know of, of many jobs that that would afford that flexibility um, or it enables me to to decide 11th hour that I'm going to run somewhere with the family on Thursday night and and you know miss work Friday so we kind of decided that we wanted to get as big as we could get and and still afford ourselves the the lifestyle that we wanted and the ability to work from home a day a week if we wanted to and and um so i i don't want to make it sound like we ever consciously decided to not grow obviously we're always looking for for more business but we've had opportunities over the years to branch out into other areas of the business or start additional divisions of the business and just decided you know what let's we we know what we know and and let's stick with what we know but i think that's a very uh personal decision that would that from business to business would change as you know as a, as a you know small business owner i mean there's probably you could and maybe you've had these discussions hey you could branch off you could do this podcast yeah i like what i do i like what i do i don't want to do yeah. anything else no, i get you I'm out of here on way. this um you got three kids they're not yet of an age where they know what they're going to do probably they may have dreams of what they're going to do are any of them do you think any of them would want to go into your business? And if they did, would you say no or yes? Um, well, so when you say my business, my industry like that, I want to step in for you and continue the family business. Yeah, 
Yeah, like uh, Michael it, Sands it, did. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, because I, I because part of that answer is that of course my, my kids are, are fifteen, fifteen, and eighteen, and and as anyone listening with kids that age knows, they're all video producers. I mean, right. you know, a kid now is making videos. They're doing all my kids do all day is do TikTok videos and and that sort of crap. And and they're all way better at it than I am. Um, if uh, so, I would never talk someone out. Uh, I would never talk my kids out of my industry. I mean, I would be blunt with them about the the pros and cons. But I, I mean, I I like what I do. Um, and I like the life it's afforded me. So I would not tell them, I can't think of any reason I would tell them, you know, you don't want to get into video production. Um, as to whether or not they wanted to get into the family business, and it's funny because my, my brother and I don't really think of it as, quote, the family business. It's just sort of this thing that we're doing together. I mean, it it, it may as well be a bagel shop. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, I, I honestly, I hadn't considered that because there, there, there hadn't, an interest so I, I i mean i guess uh, on its face i would consider that sure but i that kind of stumped me i'd have to i'd have to think on that i mean there's no reason why i wouldn't want them um but they would have to earn their stripes you know yeah. i mean it, it it's tough so we're, we're a very small business i mean we're we're five-ish full-time depending on how you count it so my kids know everyone who works for us and they all know my kids um it's not like owning a, a, a hundred person company and, and your kid comes on and immediately is executive vice president. I mean, that would be my biggest concern with folding a kid in. It's just that they, they earn their way. Um, so, you know, my life is so, so much fun and uh, feels so easy and natural for me. I mean, my biggest fear with my kids and I probably discussed this with you is I just want them to understand the importance of a hard day's work. So, um, as long as I could teach them that, they'd be welcome, sure. Thank you, Gary. I'm happy Thank to have you, you on this show. This is our special show. We have special friends. Thanks, Gary. Talk to you I'm soon. I'm honored, honored to be among the first. Thank you, guys. See you, Nigel and Michael. Uh, Gary Braun, boys and girls, we will be back. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening, You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. These are Terrence and the High Flyers. We played them last week. We really like them. This is a song called That's Why. And they say they were going for a blend between the Kinks, the Birds, and some healthier uh, Beatles. These are bands I just love. Just love them. Terrence and the High Flyers. Playing in the Sands Brothers, Michael and Steve. We're, as you know, this is a small business podcast. And what better small business for us then Calvert Woodley, which is a business that we admire um, very much and we shop at all the time. And and Steve and Michael grew up with this. I, Easy Ed started this when, Steve? When did he start this? Um, I believe it was in the 60s. I think this is year 54 of the family being in the liquor business. Uh, Calvert Woodley uh, switched over from Woodley Wine and Liquor from just across the street from the Uptown Theater. Um, moved up to where it is now, 4339 Connecticut Avenue. I think like maybe 81 or 82. Uh, but it's been in business for 54 years in the family, long time. So what was it like, uh, and, and interrupt each other anytime you want, whoever starts can start. What 82. was it like growing up with a family business? Like, were, were you in there? 
Were you unpacking boxes? Were you slicing cheese? Were you stocking the shelves? Or, or I mean, or did you not as kids? Michael, you go first. I uh, did not. Um, one one Christmas break home from college, uh, I did help out and stock the shelves. But uh, no, it was not expected of us. It was not pushed on us. It was it was really not uh, like that at all. Steve, yeah, did I you spent every winter break? Yeah, I spent every winter break uh, stocking shelves and uh, either delivering uh, when it was legal back then, uh, and also uh, just taking stuff out to cars for people. You know, when it was cold or when they had, you know, so much that they couldn't carry themselves, uh, just begging for a tip here and there. But uh, all the guys in there, when I was like sixteen to twenty-two, uh, and I used to work in there every winter break. I'm 51 years old now, and like four or five of those guys are still in there. They're the most loyal uh, employees uh, and, and employers. You know, my dad and my brother, who owns it now, uh, they've been so loyal to the people who have worked there, and the people who have worked there have been so loyal to, to my dad and my brother for years. I mean, Barris, Suli, and all these guys who have been there since I was a kid are still in there doing their thing. It's amazing. So let me ask this. I mean, Steve, you ran away from it to pursue a career in sports, even though you worked at it a lot. And, Michael, it doesn't sound like you worked at it very much at all. And here you are. You've been at the store for 22 years, and you just took over when your dad retired. How did how did that come about? Well, if I looked like my brother, maybe I'd be on TV too. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. No, I, I never wanted a real job, Tony. I mean, I, who wants to do retail and have a real job and be by the desk and wear a tie every day and, and all that kind of thing? Uh, those guys work hard. You know, we, we, don't, we don't do that kind of stuff in sportscasting. And uh, I, I never really had a business acumen. I never had that type of, uh, of want or desire to, to do that. I, I was amazed at their business. I'm, I'm amazed at what Michael does now. Uh, but that that life was not for me, not when I was a kid. Michael, when did you know you wanted to go into the business? You know, when did you say, yeah, this is this is what I wanted to do? And, and what's harder over the years? Is it is it gaining the business experience or is it learning the product? I mean, you, you probably have to know about wine. You, you have to know because someone's going to ask you. Uh, I would. Yes, you have to know about wine, but uh the business is probably the tougher part. The wine, uh, you know, we have our wine buyer is actually another one of the guys that's been with us for 40 years. Um, he's, you know, amazing. I've learned pretty much everything I've learned about wine is from him. And, uh, and we have a great team, so they help most of the customers, although I have learned a lot about wine and I know a fair amount. I, I don't know uh, as much as some of those guys. But, um, but when did I know? I knew not until about... A month before I started, I had a, a quote-unquote real job. Uh, I was living in Philadelphia doing retirement plan stuff, and I, and I enjoyed it. But uh, but I thought we didn't want to live in Philadelphia. I was recently married, and uh, and I thought, why not move back home? And uh, and I called my dad, and I asked him about about moving back home, and he said, great. He's like, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I was thinking about working at the store. He's like, Calvert Woodley? I go, yeah. He's like, cool. So that was pretty much it. That's wonderful. So he didn't even try to solicit you. 
He didn't. It, it was not expected of you to go into it. Never once. Never. Wow. All right. I, everybody no, he who never, Tony, he never he never pushed anybody. Uh, you know, we have a, my younger sister Michelle. Right. Spent some time working in there. My older brother David, uh, Michael, and myself. My, my parents never pushed us uh, into going into that store. I, I don't know whether that has to do with all the natural light I used to steal in there when I was a high school kid. I, I feel bad <laughs> that I used to do that. Uh, and I feel bad that I do that. But I feel like I should give my brother like $250 worth of beer money that I stole over the years. But my, my parents, my dad especially, never, ever pushed anybody uh, to go into the family business. But I can tell you one thing. As a brother of the person who took over for it, uh, being a family business, it meant the world to my father uh, and still does to this day. Uh, that Michael went into the business, uh, was capable, uh, and ended up taking it over. You know, if you're in a family business, Tony, you know, you have to sell it if someone in the family doesn't want to go into it or isn't, uh, you know, capable or has the ability to take over and successfully run it. And uh, my, my father's been very lucky uh, that my brother's been able to do it. And uh, it's it's been a, a natural change of hand, if you will, uh, from my dad down to Michael. So it's a, it's a, it's a great thing in our family that it's been able to continue like that. People know who listen to this podcast that we talk about Calvert Woodley and Lachiserie all the time, and it's become a catchphrase for the podcast. And we also talked about this, that, Michael, you sent out an email to your customers in early April that you were going to close temporarily. You always said you'd be back, but you said you were going to close temporarily. And your brother, Steve, talked on this air how proud he was of you doing all that. What was the process like that led to that email and and and? You know, how do you feel about reopening now? Um, well, I appreciate it very much. Listen, you guys talk about us a lot, and uh, all the Lachiserie shout-outs I see on Twitter and everywhere, it's really it's really flattering, and we, and we really appreciate it. It's pretty funny. Uh, we get a kick out of it as well. So um, uh, the process was, you know, obviously it was crazy once um, – I think the turning point was when Adam Silver canceled the season or postponed the season, and uh, Trump made that speech that won. It was a Wednesday night, and uh, and then from there, everything went crazy. And I just thought, you know, this has got to be, you know, the busiest place on earth. We were doing, you know, 60%, 70% more business than we were uh, at the same time last year, and it was you know, great business-wise, but it was it was crazy, and it wasn't that it wasn't sustainable, um, but because it was, but we didn't need to have people in the store. We didn't need to have so many people in the store. So I wanted to keep people safe, and we have some, you know, with with uh, you know, like my brother's talking about, with all the people that have been working with us for thirty-five and forty years. You know, we've got some people that are you know over sixty-seven, sixty-eight, seventy and uh wanted to keep them safe and and you know all the things you see about in the news with social distancing and all that stuff so um just kind of made the decision that as soon as i could sort of afford to do it that we would that we would do it and we would take care of our people and that we would shut it down and the reason that we probably reopened when we did is because you text me every other day asking me when am i going to reopen <laughs> well I, when i when i got the email you were reopening i just sent something back that said yay and i signed my name what what has changed i mean yeah, everything changes a little bit in terms of how you deal with the customers what are you doing now uh, on a basically on a full-time basis that you did not do before on a full-time basis 
well, we don't have any customers in the store. Right. Um, from, I think it was March 19th to April 4th, we had no customers in the store. And uh, online orders only, curbside pickup, uh, delivery, you know, that kind of stuff. And we have continued that. And, uh, you know, we've thought of different ideas, and I think we'll probably ease into it with, you know, having a limited number of people in the store, whether it's 10 at a time or something like that. But, you know, we'll, we'll just see how it goes. Some of this stuff is done, you know, some decisions you make by analysis and numbers, and some you just say, let's just see how it goes and what feels right. That's kind of what we've tried to do. With this. Steve, I remember when we talked about this on the air, you talked about how proud you were of your brother for what he'd done. Yeah, I really was. I, I thought it was great. Um, I, I, I am of the opinion that public health and, and safety and, and people's lives really matter uh, in all of this. And I think that as things open slowly and reopen slowly, I think that the most important thing is making sure that you know we're okay. Everybody wants to push the economy. Everybody wants to get back to work. Everybody wants all the great things that we had before all this. But I don't think any of that happens unless people are healthy and happy and safe and feel confident that they can go out and go to places like Calvert Woodley, which they've enjoyed going to for all those years, or going to the movies, or going to a restaurant, or going out for a drink, or whatever you want to do um, in public life. I, I think it was great uh, what Michael did. I think it took a lot of stones to do it. Uh, I cannot imagine the angst that he must have had in, in closing that store. As I told you that day, Tony, um, that store's been closed uh, for a couple of things over 54 years, holidays and the day of my mother's funeral. That's it. For Michael to close down that store completely, uh, when the business was seemingly going to be up in that realm, you know, thinking about the liquor business and the wine business, uh, for him to close, I thought was the right thing to do. Uh, and I know his employees are, are, are awfully thankful that he did it. Michael, I would ask you this because I would think that, that in small business, the most important thing to make people sleep well at night is the notion of loyalty, that the people who frequent them frequent them for a reason, not just because the prices are low and not just because of convenience, but because there is a connection that you make with your customers. What is your sense of, of the loyalty that your customers show for you? Oh, it's been tremendous. Um, we've sent out emails, you know, like you said, in early April and uh, you know, late March and uh, even a few updates while we were closed to let people know. And every time we send an email, I get a ton of emails back from people just saying, we're with you. You know, we love you. We can't wait to see you. So many nice messages. It's, uh, it's fantastic. And, and then as soon as we sent the email out on Sunday at noon saying that we were going to reopen and turn on the online ordering, uh, people, People responded. We've we've had quite a quite a lot of orders, and it's and it's been you know, it's been fantastic. It's the response has been amazing. Family businesses are very very interesting. You see it all the time. So and so and son, so and so and daughter. It's always sort of romanticized. It's a lot harder work than that, obviously. Steve, you can't be tempted to quit your job and go help out, can you? You can't. Oh my. Oh my God, Tony! Are you kidding me? <laughs> no chance. Seriously, you know what my brother has to deal with day in day out. Honestly, not only could I not do it, I have absolutely no interest. Unless my career blows up, the only time I will ever go into Cabra Woodley is to hang out at La Cheeserie and talk to some of the guys I used to work with 
when I was a kid who were still there and just kind of enjoy my brother's success uh, in the store. We, we drive by it and we go in uh, whenever we're home. Uh, we get a chance to go down there, uh, hang out, maybe steal a pepper shooter out of the, uh, the refrigerator there in front of the cheese counter. Uh, but, you know, it, other than that, no, hey, Tony, we don't offer 14 weeks of vacation, so Stephen's not coming. Yeah. So, all oh, right, I'll God. get you out of here on this. I, I'll talk to Steve directly on this. You, uh, not this Sunday, but next Sunday, you're going to be at Seminole Golf Club in Juneau Beach, Florida, where the greats yeah. like Jimmy Dunn and Sam Reeves and Jack Vardaman belong, and you're going to be helping on a broadcast, an exhibition match, um, and Matthew Wolf and Ricky Fowler and Dustin Johnson and Rory McIlroy will be out there. This is going to be live sports. Talk about your anticipation of that and what, you, what you're going to be doing. First of all, Vardaman, Reeves, and Dunn, those are three first ballot Hall of Famers. Those yeah. guys are yeah. all-world human beings. Um, you know, NBC and the PGA Tour, they were trying to put this together uh, for weeks. Um, and finally they got all the logistics together. It's going to be great um, to be able to have live sports, to be able to have world-class players uh, like those four you talked about, um, not only competing uh, on live TV for people to watch, but also competing for charity. All the money is going to go to COVID-19. Uh, a couple of big sponsors are involved in it as well. And for the world of golf fans, uh, not just sports fans, but golf fans specifically to see seminal um, which is an incredible golf course. Uh, to see that on live television for the first time is going to be special as well. But just to get back to work, Tony, get back to some type of normalcy, you know, 2 to 6 o'clock uh, in the afternoon on a Sunday in May, you're supposed to have live sports, whether it's the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, the PGA Tour event, whatever's going on. And hopefully we give people who are kind of suffering through no sports at all uh, they get to watch something uh, and enjoy for four hours. It should be a lot of fun. I, I can't wait to. I, I said this to you a couple of weeks ago, Tony. I've been home for eight weeks now. I hate myself. I can imagine my family does. <laughs> they they can't wait for for me to get out of the house. Uh, I might go down there a few days early just to get out of here. Thank you both so very much for being on. Appreciate it very much. Talk to you both soon. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Very All much. Right, Tony. I would take a break. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. As I mentioned earlier, this episode is just one of many podcasts included in the Small Business Podference presented by Dell Technologies, a podcast conference to get inspiration on topics like fundraising, building teams, or managing a business in our current environment from top podcasts like Against the Rules with Michael Lewis, Rise with Rachel Hollis, and Ear Biscuits with Rhett and Link. For the complete lineup of episodes, visit DellTechnologiesPodference.com. And I can't even spell that. That's the longest word I've ever heard of. This, this is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. This is Don Stewart playing us back in. And if you don't think Nigel knows what he's doing, wait till I tell you the name of this song. The name of this song is Your Mom Was Right by Don Stewart, who's a great, great talent. Michael, if people like Don Stewart want to send in original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at Show. And you're saying to yourself, you know, what is Your Mom Was Right? What does that mean? Well, you know, as we continue with the small business episode here, 
We have Andrew Dana with us, and Andrew Dana's bagel shop is called Call Your Mother. I mean, so that's why we do this. He's also involved with Timber Pizza. That's with your fiancé, right, Timber Pizza? Both are with the fiancé, so life and business partners. Well, Call Your Mother was named one of Bon Appetit's best new restaurants of 2019. That's sort of special for Michael and me in this regard. Adam Rappaport runs Bon Appetit, right? Yes. And we know him. We've played golf with him. Everything is interconnected on this show. Everything Maybe is really I actually. Get an invite one of these days. Maybe, yeah. It depends on if you come through with free stuff. I mean, that's how everything works. <laughs> Let's talk about stuff. this. I got you. You did an interview in Bon Appetit about how restaurants are handling this particular coronavirus pandemic crisis. Now, can you explain? You know w- what you did, and if you saw it coming, what your plans were. Because, you know, restaurants, restaurants are going to be affected much more than some other types of businesses. Yeah, no, for sure. We, um, we, we saw it coming, and instead of, you know, slowly peeling it back and doing things on the fly, we decided to shut for two weeks when this whole thing hit and just sort of look at it from all angles, what's a safe way we can operate, how can we, you know, how can we make food with a skeleton crew, so we took two weeks, sort of looked at best practices, how can we operate, moved everything online, everything, uh, contactless pickup at the shop. So we moved the pickup outside so nobody's coming inside. Uh, and after two weeks, we decided to reopen the shops. Uh, we're operating with about 30% of the staff we typically would, a pared down menu. Um, but that's basically the only way we can do it while, you know, keeping social distancing and keeping the staff safe. Um, and then we also only allow staff to work that can drive or walk to work. So no public transport, nobody who lives with anybody who's high risk. Um, so just trying to keep everybody safe while also keeping money in people's pockets. And how is, how has it worked out to this point? Have you established enough loyalty to your family business that, that people are happy and they will seek you out? Or have you noticed that you hadn't done that yet? No, it's been amazing. Um, I, we've been super transparent in that we're trying to keep all 144 employees uh, paid. You know, the unemployment wow. is sort of a cluster. And, you know, some of the workers who may be undocumented couldn't even apply for unemployment. So we've our, our, our goal here is just to keep everybody paid. And we've been transparent about that. So the community has come out in droves. We've been almost as busy as we were pre-corona. And then you see it on the orders. People are leaving huge tips. They're buying t-shirts and mugs at a rate they certainly weren't before this thing so the community has i think really rallied behind us since we've been transparent and just saying like hey we're not trying to make money here we're just trying to keep people paid and keep people safe um so we're you know we're paying the staff that can't even come to work right now so uh the community's heard that and absolutely rallied around us you have described yourself in interviews as risk averse it seems to me opening up a small business is not at all risk averse. As somebody who went into chatter and went down the drain completely, I know what can happen. Um, how, how do you decide to open? How do, if, if you are indeed risk averse, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it sort of helps us just sort of bring our A game every single day. So even when we get on a list like Bon Appetit or something like that, we're just we're scared that the buzz will go away tomorrow or that, you know, something else will open up on the block that'll take customers away. So obviously we're crazy enough to open these restaurants, but I think, you know, the risk adverse part is, is keeping us on our toes um, and just sort of always looking at everything, turning over every stone. So we know that 
we're sort of, you know, at the top of our game. And on the flip side is we sort of bank every dollar that we make. We're not quick to disperse funds to investors or to ourselves. Um, so we've been building a rainy day fund for years, which has allowed us to pay our staff while, you know, some of the revenues are down or while we are closed. So um, even though we're crazy enough to get into this business, you know, we're, we're scared enough to always be banking money and to uh, uh, just keep us on our toes. So I'm interested in this because I've got a daughter who only wanted to cook, was never really interested in school. The only school she wanted to go to was cooking school. Um, so I'll ask somebody else in a similar situation. She went to Murray and you went to GDS. How does the DC yep. kid who goes to a school like that, how do you end up in the restaurant business? Were you, were you more drawn to the cooking side as my daughter was or the actual business side? I think at a young, when I was at GDS, I was drawn to the eating side. Um, <laughs> I was a pretty, I was a pretty bad student and didn't really have like a passion. I played sports and ate a lot of Chipotle and that was pretty much it. Um, I think what eventually drawed me to this industry was just like seeing how restaurants can be the backbone of neighborhoods and communities. And, you know, I liked the idea of going to a place that I could then take my kids to and their kids could take their kids to just sort of like these, you know, restaurants that span generations. So that's like what initially drew me to it. And then, you know, I've just always loved food and, and loved eating and sort of getting in the lab and working on recipes and then finding my business partner and fiance, who's an actual chef who actually knows what she's doing, sort of took it to the next level. Yeah, I mean, I was, I think restaurants are really, my, my experience notwithstanding, I think restaurants are really cool and they're really cool thing to do. I don't think what people realize, and you were talking about this before, is how many employees you have and how hard it is in a circumstance like this to keep your employees paid. Everybody, small businesses really try to do that. I'm not sure that box stores or television right. networks or large businesses, I, I, and I don't want to fault them. I just don't think they can because they've got right. thousands of people that they have to worry about. And so a lot of those people are furloughed. But you've, you've done this you've done this to keep your employees together how difficult a decision is that and how strained do you feel doing it uh, it wasn't a hard decision i mean candidly when this thing hit all of the advice we were getting was hoard cash hoard your resources put people on unemployment and you know for years we've been preaching we're a family look at this as a career you can grow with us so it just that idea of laying people off and sort of saying, hey, we're a family, except for when things get tough, everybody right. hunkered down on their own, just didn't sit right. So the decision wasn't hard. Now, what was hard was being closed for two weeks and watching money only flow out of the account and none into the account. And it was definitely scary. But once we made the decision that, hey, we're going to do everything we can to keep people paid, then it was just, okay, let's put our heads down and figure this out. And we did an online fundraiser where we were selling pizza-making classes to drive up some business. We've done a custom shoe with Vans where anybody who buys those vans, the money goes towards our staff. And then once we reopened, it was about, okay, let's like operate in a lean and smart way so we can be sort of have as much money flowing in as possible. So the decision wasn't hard, but it's certainly been stressful. But, you know, we can all sleep at night knowing that we're, you know, we're either going to survive this thing or go down together. So the, I should mention the restaurants again, Call Your Mother and Timber Pizza. And you've been very fortunate. The product has been very well received. And you've had, you know, you've had people lined up in order to get in. There is certainly, you, you have to sort of acknowledge that, that if and when 
there is a return to normalcy, not all small businesses are going to make it. Um, there's an estimate that a third of the D.C. area bars could close. And not only could they close, but there's going to be a different way, I would assume you've thought about this, Andrew, a different way that people approach going out and eating in and, and all of those things. What, what are you thinking about? As somebody who owns successful places, and you're probably going to be around for the long haul, how do you think physically it will change? How do you think you know, psychologically it will change to go out? Yeah, I mean, a we're incredibly blessed that the you know the community has embraced us and come out the way they have. Like we're only able to pay people because people are supporting us. If there's no money, obviously we couldn't be doing this. So, a we're incredibly fortunate, um, and, and I just think it's going to be a carry out fast casual model for the short and sort of middle term. I don't see people feeling comfortable to go out into crowded restaurants and dine in. You know, restaurants are talking about, okay, we'll spread the tables out. And, um, but these dining restaurants, like if you're only dining at 30, 50% capacity, that model just doesn't work. So I think any sort of dining restaurant is going to have to change the model for at least the next year. They're going to have to go heavy carry out, uh, heavy delivery. Um, cause even if some people do feel comfortable eating out, it's not going to be sort of packed to the gills like it used to be. And that's the way these restaurant models work, right? Restaurants operate on, razor thin margins it's it's a it's a quantity uh business and if you know you can only dine out in sort of limited capacity the model's broken so i think uh a i think you're right i think a lot of businesses are going to go under unless there's some more government help either if that's from dc or the federal government um and if that help doesn't come i think a lot of restaurants are going to close and the ones that survive i think are the ones that are going to pivot and do much more carry out and uh delivery well that, that brings something up i mean when I was young and I went out to dinner, that was an occasion for me. That was something I looked forward to. I dressed up for it, even in my 20s and 30s. I thought that was a big deal. Then I got hooked on restaurants like The Palm. And I will use a word that my son has, has written in the notes, and it's the right word, allure. There is a tremendous allure that restaurants have. You go to the restaurant not only because the food is good, but because the noise level is acceptable, the people in it make you feel good. The entire experience is something that is beyond just the food. If we get to a part with restaurants where people are nervous and, and they, they don't really want to stay in there, is the allure gone? And when you talk about the pivot, what is that pivot? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly for the next, you know, nine to 12 months, I do think the allure is going to be gone. It's, it's not an enjoyable experience to go out and worry about having a mask on and, oh, my God, who's at the table next to me. So until there's some sort of vaccine or something, I, I do think the allure is gone. Um, and the pivot's just going to be how do you survive in a world of carry out and delivery and how can you let your product stand out and how does your product, you know, travel to home? Um but absolutely, I think the allure is going to be gone for a while. Now, I do think when there is a vaccine or better treatment and people do think it's safe to go out, I do think people are going to start eating out in droves. I think people are going to miss it, and I think they're going to miss that community feeling. So I don't think it's the model's changed forever. I just think it's changed for the next year while the smart scientists figure this thing out. Um, but certainly the allure for the next 9 to 12 months is is – is shot, but I do think eventually this is going to come back, and I think it's going to come back sort of stronger than ever. So you don't think that generationally people who are now, say, between the ages of 
18 and 30 will be scared off forever. You think they no, will? Do you think they will go back at some point? I, I, I truly believe, and maybe I'm just delusional because I'm in this business and I want to hope the best, but I truly believe when there's either a vaccine or a treatment or something that I think once this thing opens up and after it's been, you know, two, four weeks and people are realizing there's, uh, you know, not an uptick in cases and it is safe to go out. I do think people are going to have a short memory and people are going to want to get back to, you know, congregating at restaurants and having group meals and sort of rubbing elbows in bars. So maybe I'm delusional and, you know, that's the human spirit is being too positive to really realize what's going on. But I, I truly do believe once it is safe to go out, people are going to have a short memory and people are going to get back to it. So I'll get you out of here on this. Um, you and Danny are a success story. I mean, you've got two really good places everybody likes, and you've had national media and all of that, and that's good. And then something like this happens. Do you take a step back? Do you say, you know, I always wanted to be in a small business. I never expected this to happen. Do I go forward with all the vigor that I had when I opened the place, or am I, am I the victim of a cautionary tale, and do I think to myself, Eh, we'll do the best we can, but this may not be a long-term deal. No, this is, this is definitely the long-term deal for us. Um, seeing how the community is rallying around us and supporting us and, you know, seeing how we're taking care of 144 staff and seeing how pizza and bagels is still bringing like a little bit of comfort and joy to people in this crazy time has only sort of solidified the fact that we're in the right industry. Um, yeah, it's going to be hard. And yes, it's an insane industry to be in and, uh, this has absolutely rocked this industry more than some others. Um, but we're we're definitely where we're supposed to be doing what we're supposed to be doing. So, um, you know, we're going to we're going to keep trucking. Uh, the restaurants are Call Your Mother and Timber Pizza. This has been Andrew Dana with us. Thank you, Andrew. Good luck. Stay safe. No, thank you. Talk soon. Bye bye. All right. We'll be back. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. comes Tony's mailbag, got your email faxes and your notes. Here comes Tony's mailbag, gonna read some for all you folks. And to think that Gary gave up a career as a song and dance man in order to do brawn film and video. I don't, can't believe he did that. Uh, that'll do it for us today in this special show, which was part of Dell Technologies Small Business Podference. Let me thank our guests. Our own Gary Braun of Braun Film and Video, Michael and Steve Sands of Calvert Woodley Fine Wines and Spirits and La Cheeserie, and Andrew Dana of Timber Pizza and Call Your Mother. Thanks as well to De Dell Technologies for sponsoring today's show. To find more participating podcasts, search Dell Technologies Small Business Podference. I hope I pronounced that correctly on radio.com, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Uh, do you want to thank another small business for the food today, Nigel? Yes, thank you, Bethesda Bagels. Uh, Danny and the gang uh, do a great job for us. We appreciate it. On 4819 Bethesda Avenue, open every single day from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. Can I just say that, that the most thrilling thing for me about doing this podcast is having my son Michael with me. And every night sure. I, I, I sit at home and I think, when is he going to get a real job? He's got to get a real <laughs> job. I mean, how long? Right, Michael? How long is this going to go on? You know, don't you have to get a real job at some point? I'm trying not to. Okay, good. Uh, from Josh London, 
I hear you've been losing some weight lately. I actually know a great trick to help. Similar to walking, if you want to eat more, just eat more. I live in Chicago, Wrigleyville to be specific. Let Wilbon know, despite his claims, we have already had our first 70 de degree, 75 degree day a few weeks ago. Granted, we also had an inch of snow a few days later. Wilbon may be on to something, staying in Arizona. Uh, from Ken Lean, or Ken Vane, rather. I'm sorry, Ken Lane. It's spelled L-E-I-N and says Lane like Vane. And it's, it was confusing. Ken Lane in Albany, New York. I had my hip replaced just before the shutdown. And until then, listened to the show each morning while on the treadmill. The laughter helped me lose track of the actual exercise. I truly appreciate the show and like so many others feel connected, like old friends. When my wife calls you one of the yelling guys, she does seem to make fun of Subarus now. Wappingers Falls is way up in the mountains, you say. It's just like Toronto is in the Midwest. Wappingers is about 10 miles outside of Poughkeepsie, about 150 feet above sea level. Thought you might like to know. Which is, well, which is Ken Lane's way of saying, you're an idiot, but I like you anyway. <laughs> uh, Alan Spitzer, not that Alan Spitzer, Chevy Chase, Maryland. I had an Uncle Benny, too. He passed away in 1980. I have not thought of him in many years, but your Uncle Benny's table story made me think of my Uncle Benny. He was a sweet, hardworking man who spent many years working in a hat factory in Montreal where I grew up. The coolest thing was to me growing up was that this factory made Expos caps that he would occasionally give to us in the early days of the Expos franchise. I will tell you that as much as I love the Nats, the Expos hats may yeah, be the greatest hats hat. right in the they, history of baseball. They were terrific. Yeah. Just fabulous looking hats. Say hi to Sam for me. Yeah, from Les Cossack in Westerville, Ohio. Did you just say I could have done that when discussing piloting a helicopter? <laughs> you did earlier in the show express your confounding experience using the drive-through drive, uh, lane in the bank. Is that correct? Did you not also ask if using your phone to cash a check involves someone dropping off cash to your home like a printed email? In all seriousness, thank you for the free entertainment, and please continue to be safe. I would also like to give out a shout to my fellow Westerville Littles, Carla, Jen, David, and the person who works in the next room and is related to me by marriage. To be fair, you do have a flying suit. I have a flying That's suit. True. A flying shirt, right. anyway, and, and a suit, and talismans, and amulets. From Scott Moffat in Richmond, Virginia. Your need of talismans and amulets anytime you get on an airplane is well known, but on Monday's pod, you said you would have flown bands into Woodstock. I'm trying to picture Jimi Hendrix climbing into the helicopter after his performance, and you tell him, I hate flying, but I'm wearing my flying shirt, so we'll be okay. Um, we get this very, very nice note from Chris Sparrow, who is the DC Grays, who pays tribute to the show all the time with lovely, lovely things. Unfortunately, he writes, the Grays will not have a season this summer. The concern over the safety of the players who come to us from all over the country, the challenges presented with fundraising and locating host families in this uncertain financial and health environment, and the lack of clarity regarding when athletic contests of any kind will be allowed on local ball fields lead us to make this decision now. No season means no gear. I regret I will not be able to deliver the usual box of that for you, Nigel, and the rest of the squad. It's okay. It's all right. Chris is a wonderful wonderful and, guy. And Bootsy plays yeah. with the D.C. Grays baseball every day. It's wonderful. And he says, while there are many more important things facing the region and the nation than summer collegiate baseball, I want to let you know of our status and to thank you for your generous support, which we will have in the future. We'll be happy to do that. From Nicholas Mesolella in Providence, Rhode Island. I've been in lockdown for over a month now. I've learned that my wife hates me, the kids don't want to talk to me, and the dog won't spend more than 10 minutes with me. So to spend more time in my backyard, I bought a charcoal grill. The problem is I don't know how to use it. Turns out it's not that simple to control the flame. I've overcooked burgers, undercooked steaks. It's ugly. Any chance Michael can give a newbie some advice? I have all the tools, charcoals, tongs, chimney. cigars, chimney starter. Any advice will be Two helpful. Two-zone fire. Two-zone yeah, fire. have a hot zone, have a cool zone. From Jim Flynn in Cobra, Connecticut. Tony, we're both of the same vintage. Do you remember the old TV commercials for Radio Free Europe? 
Boy, you got to be over 60 on that one. When they show people huddled up listening for news for the outside world, your podcast kind of feels like that to me now. Keep up the good work. We will try. Everybody stay safe. If you're out on your bike tonight, do wear white. This book is devastating.
I'm glad I found you. Don't wanna lose you. I'm glad I found you.